On the latest episode of On the Case, we are taking a look at the recent Supreme Court judgment in Ritson, Thomas and others versus Oxfordshire County Council, a hard-fought battle over a former school site in the Oxfordshire village of Nettlebed that involved the interpretation of the 1841 School Site Act. To explain the significance of this case and the modern-day application of this 180-year-old legislation, I am joined by Andrew Small, partner at Russell Cook. Welcome, Andrew. Hi, Jess. Good to be with you. So, Andrew, this case has a considerably longer timeline than most uh, that we uh, tend to to, to look at, um, with the key events taking place over more than a century. So can you just sort of give us that little bit of a history lesson and take us through the facts of the case and, and what gave rise to this dispute? Yes, of course. And as you say, it's been something of a saga. Um, <laughs> the story begins in 1914 when the late Robert Fleming transferred some land in Nettlebed to Oxfordshire County Council as a site for what was then referred to as an elementary school and would now, you know, would now be and now is a primary school. Mm. Some more land for the purposes of the school was then conveyed by Mr. Fleming a few years later in 1928. The school had existed prior to 1914, but the, the transfers from Mr. Fleming enabled a new school building to be erected. The school then operated on that site, so the land donated by Mr Fleming, which both the Supreme Court and I will refer to from now on as the Fleming site, until 2006. There was a plan from Oxfordshire County Council for since the 1990s to relocate the school to a new building with improved facilities on land adjacent to the Fleming site. That plan was eventually implemented in the early noughties and the pupils moved across to the new school building in February 2006. The Fleming site had therefore ceased to be used as a school by the time it was subsequently sold because that was what happened next. The school was sold Mm. in September 2007 to a property developer for just under £1.25 million. And it's important to note that whilst the school site was only sold after it had ceased to be used, this was always the documented intention of Oxfordshire City Council. So they built the new school site, they borrowed the money to, uh, they borrowed a, a significant proportion of the money to do that, and then they sold the Fleming site with the intention of using that money to repay that borrowing. The sequence of events then led to a dispute with the descendants of Mr Fleming, who claimed that almost the whole of the proceeds of sale of the site were actually held by Oxfordshire City Council on trust for them under the legal principle of what has become known as reverter of sites or just reverter. Okay, and so resolving that issue involves, uh, as we mentioned at the outset, some very well-established legislation, the the 1841 School Site Act. Um, For those listeners who who maybe haven't read that one recently, uh, what in short should we we know about the, the 1841 Act? The intention of the 1841 Act was to facilitate and encourage philanthropy by making it easier to transfer land for the purposes of a school on the basis that should that purpose fail and the school be closed, that the land would revert to the donor or to his estate and therefore the beneficial interest would pass to his descendants. So under Section 2 of the 1841 Act, land not exceeding one acre could be transferred as a site for a school for the education of poor persons, the residence of the schoolmaster or schoolmistress, or otherwise for the purposes of education of poor persons in religious and useful knowledge. Section 2 then goes on to state that in the event of the whole or any part of the land ceasing to be used for any of those purposes, 
the land would then revert to and become a portion of the uh, donor's estate. So that's section two of the 1841 Act. The other key section of the Act uh, for these, for the purposes of this case and generally is section 14 and how that interacts with section two. What section 14 does is gives the trustees of a school site originally given under section two a power of sale or a power of exchange of that land for land which it considers to be more suitable. And the existence of this power in section 14 is taken to mean that the educational purpose for which the land was originally given can effectively be ported across or transferred to an alternative site without reverse recurring. Although one other technical point, though, is that strictly speaking, it is now legally inappropriate to refer to reverser in this case or indeed any other case on this point. This is because the, the 1987 Reverser of Sites Act which was passed to implement some suggested reforms by the Law Commission in this area, replaced the principle of reverter with a statutory trust for the benefit of those who would have been entitled to reverter if Section 2 had remained in force. However, the Supreme Court in this judgment reserved themselves the right to continue to refer to reverter for reasons <laughs> of linguistic convenience. So I'm going to feel able to do the same for the uh, for the purposes of this discussion. <laughs> that seems reasonable. Um, so, uh the case has seesawed its way through the courts, um, the lower courts. So can you just about, before we get to the Supreme Court decision, what, what was the story so far uh, in, in the courts below? Again, it's been something of a drawn out saga, which illustrates <laughs> just how long it can take for a dispute to crystallise into litigation and the judgment. Because it's important to realise that the, the movement of the pupils to the new school building was 2006. The sale of the land took place in 2007, but we didn't. We don't actually get the first instance judgment until over 10 years after that, and so until 2018. So the judge in that case concluded that Oxfordshire City Council were entitled to sell the Fleming site and apply the proceeds of sale for repaying the borrowings that OCC had taken on to fund those new school buildings. Now, the judge reached this view, having concluded that Section 2 and Section 14 of the 1841 Act should be read together and given a broad and practical interpretation. Therefore, although the school had been moved from the Fleming site prior to sale, that site was still being used for the purposes of the public elementary school at Nettlebed because it was being sold to raise the money to pay for the cost of the new buildings. Therefore, the judge concluded that a reverse event had never arisen. Now, I think it was helpful to the judge informing this view that OCC had always documented their intent to sell the Fleming site in order to defray the costs of the new building. The judge also relied on an understanding or at least his interpretation of charitable intent in reaching this decision, forming a view that Mr. Fleming and generally donors of land under the 1841 Act weren't tying the intent of their gift to just that specific parcel of land. As the judge put it, grantors would not have wished to recall their benefaction, so have the gift, you know, retract the gift, have it come back to them, simply because their school was a success and had had to move to large premises. So that was the first instance decision, but this judgment was overturned by the Court of Appeal who found that reverter had occurred and the proceeds of sale of the Fleming site were therefore held substantially on trust for the Fleming family. I think it was found that oh, certainly over 90% of the land that was sold by OCC was that originally given by Mr Fleming, so this was their claim to the entitlement of the proceeds of sale. The view that the Court of Appeal 
took was reached on, I think, a more literal interpretation of Section 2 of the 1841 Act, namely that if land given under that Act ceased to be used for the active education of children, you know, that was it, reverser occurred at that point. The intent to sell the site to fund the cost of the new building was not considered relevant by the Court of Appeal, at least in the context of how events panned out in this case, namely with the site ceasing to be used as a school prior to it being sold by OCC. Okay. And now, uh, of course, we have a definitive answer from the Supreme Court. Uh, How did they approach the case and, and what ultimately did they decide? In short, the Supreme Court disagreed with the view reached by the Court of Appeal and upheld the conclusions of the judge at first instance. And the Supreme Court went out of its way to praise that first instance judgment and substantially agree with its conclusions. The Supreme Court concluded that reverter had not occurred and that OCC had remained entitled to sell the Fleming land and to apply the proceeds to the cost of the new building. There were a variety of factors cited by the Supreme Court in reaching this conclusion. The first was some prior litigation on the operation of the 1841 Act. There were a series of cases referred to collectively as the Fraser litigation, in which it was concluded that a broad and practical interpretation needed to be given to interpreting Section 2 of the 1841 Act, and also, therefore, the court concluded Section 14. The conclusion reached was that reverter had not occurred, provided that the site had never ceased to be used for any of the purposes set out in Section 2 of the Act, and the court formed the view that ring-fencing the proceeds of sale to apply to the cost of new school buildings fell within the scope of Section 2. The second principle that the Supreme Court applied was the more general principle in English law that when interpreting statute, that a purposive rather than a literal interpretation is to be applied. What that means is that if you perceive that a straight reading of the words takes you in one direction as to what the law means, whereas looking at supporting sources such as Hansard as to what the intention of the draftsman was, you should go with the purposive interpretation of what the intention was. The Supreme Court felt that this was particularly important in the context of older legislation. And as you say, the 1841 Act is exactly 180 years old this year, as the Supreme Court feels that all legislation prior to the establishment of the Office of Parliamentary Council in 1869 lacks the sort of linguistic style and consistency of drafting that later legislation does. And so it's really important to take that purposive approach. And so applying that general principle to the specifics of this case and the specifics of the 1841 Act, what the Supreme Court looked at was what balance was intended to be struck between the interests of the original donor and the interests of the public once land had been given for educational purposes. And what the court concluded was that reading Section 2 and Section 14 together, and also having regard to the principle of charity law that gifts should be upheld as being charitable wherever possible, that what the correct interpretation of the 1841 Act is, is to find that the donor's original intent to advance education should be upheld, including, as in this case, via the application of the proceeds of sale of the original site towards new school buildings. So uh, good news, I'm sure, for the council uh, and its uh, taxpayers. Indeed. Um, So... Uh, obviously, this this will be far from the only site uh, donated for school use over the last 180 years, and and uh, uh, you know um, modern technology uh, t- 
tends to require a lot of redevelopment of schools as, as, as they upgrade to for the for to, for the modern day learning experience so uh, it seems like this can, might be the kind of issue that could arise uh, across the country so is it, how significant is this decision and, and how widespread are its potential implications what an interesting question Jess um, <laughs> I mean, as I've said, the judgment does contain some helpful guidance generally about statutory interpretation and the importance of upholding charitable gifts. But as you say, ultimately, its significance is going to relate to school sites that were originally conveyed on the terms of the 1841 Act. So therefore, the starting point when answering that question is to try and estimate how many school sites still exist that in whole or in part can trace their foundation to such gifts. The 1981 Law Commission report that the 1987 Act um, implemented estimated that at that time there were still likely to be as many as 2,000 sites falling into that category. And I've had a I've had a search around and I can't find as I can't find a later estimate. So that's the number to start with. Now, clearly, over the last 40 years, there have been a lot of changes in the school estate, particularly closures and amalgamations of small sites, mm. which are particularly likely to be subject to reverter as Section 2 only applied to transfers of land of up to one acre. But I think there, are, there must still be likely to be several hundred sites, I would say, that are held on such trusts. And given the sums of money that can arise, as in this case, where a dispute arises as to the use of the site or to the entitlement of the proceeds of sale, particularly where it's sold for residential development, I doubt that this will be the last dispute or case on this issue or on the interpretation of this legislation. Mm. I imagine this is the kind of thing that might be a bit of a, a nasty surprise for, for an education authority for, for this kind of thing to present itself uh, over, you know, donations that might have been made a, a century or more ago. So do, do you think advice to, to clients will change much as a result of this decision? As you say, Jess, I think the, 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 the key starting point is knowledge to avoid, you know, to avoid a nasty surprise a few, a few years down the line. So when, I, you know, if act though, advisors acting for owners of school sites that are of an age and of a size that reverter may be an issue it's really important before it before close it if you're if closure amalgamation or sale of such a site is on the cards i think it's really important to uh, dig into the historic deeds understand the history of the site as best you can and get to a position where you know if there is a risk of reverter applying um Having said that, I mean, certainly this case is, is helpful in the main to owners of school sites because it does show that a school site can be shut and vacated prior to sale without that necessarily constituting a reverter event. Now, this will give site owners a bit more commercial flexibility and it's in line with the modern approach to school relocations, with it generally being the case that new facilities are built and the school moved across before a disposal strategy of any surplus land is implemented. I would say that certainly for owners of school sites, though, the main takeaway from this case for them is the importance of documenting that future intention for use of a site that's intended to close or how the proceeds of sale are going to be applied. Because the looser the linkage between the use of the originally donated land or the purpose for which the sale proceeds are applied is, the greater the risk, I think, would be in any future case that reverter would still be deemed to have occurred. For example, if in this case, the proceeds of sale had simply gone into the general funds of Oxfordshire County Council, 
I think is likely the court would have found that reverse would have occurred as the purpose of the original gift, namely the advancement of education, would not be being continued to being fulfilled with those funds. So looking at it for clients at the, at the other end, so if you were acting for donors of land under the School Sites Act, or clearly after 180 years, it's far more likely to be their descendants. The key starting point, again, is knowledge. So, you know, that such of a st state of affairs maybe exist. So if there is, a, you know, a genuine understanding within a family that an ancestor may have given land historically for the purpose of a school, then it's important to track down the deeds and check them to see if it can be shown that potential entitlement to reverter has occurred or may occur in the future and then it's important to monitor what's happening with that land to see the future of the school site and if it's ever closed down or sold um, however it isn't as i say it's important when acting for donors or their descendants under this case to note that following this case that provided that continued educational use of the site or application of the proceeds of sale of the site for educational purposes can be shown to be happening and to be intended to happen in the future, there is a, the likelihood is that a claim of reverter will be defeated as the courts will apply the presumption that the spirit of the original gift has been and should be preserved. Well, thankfully, that's a, a complication that my ancestors haven't left me with. So, uh, <laughs> um, many thanks, Andrew, for joining us to explain the decision in Ritz and Thomas. Uh, you have been listening to On the Case from EG.